Hi everybody, I'm Ralph Ben Mergy, and this is not that kind of rabbi. Now let's clarify something, I'm not a rabbi, but if I was, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. And you know, I've been thinking about that, <clears throat> because I really like some of the rabbis that I've been uh, taught by, so I'm not uh, putting them down, I'm just saying uh, there's a kind of way we look at spirituality that for me is really limiting. I was listening yesterday to Sam Harris. I don't know if you know Sam Harris, but Sam Harris wrote a letter to a Christian nation and a few other uh, books. And very interesting guy, very anti-religion. He truly believes it's unreformable and it's done more harm than good. Now, as somebody who is spiritual, but also uh, I, I tend to see religion as spirituality is your relationship that you have with yourself, with others, with the planet and with the cosmos. And those are all different relationships, but it's the sacredness of those relationships that is what we want to cultivate or certainly what I want to cultivate. Religion, I tell people, is a fitness program. It's, okay, I really want to be religious, but I don't seem to have any of the tools to have a sustainable religious life. It's kind of like when you were young and you did acid or mushrooms or things like that, and they, they wiped away your ego for a little, I don't know, six hours or so. You actually had a non-dualistic approach to your life. Everything was you, you were everything, unity, the wonderful feeling. But the next day you woke up and you were just lunched out, grumpy, because it took a lot of psychic energy to do those drugs. And that was it. You were back to life. And so when we ask about spirituality and I did a show with Laurie Brown a little while ago about being spiritual but not religious, and I get it. I, You know, having to belong to a team, especially in a, a day and an age of individualism in which we live, and in rationalism, which is prove it. I always get prove God. And then I say, well, prove love. You spend your whole life looking for it. You want it. You want to keep it. But you can't put it in a bottle and you can't sell it to anybody, even though marketers would love you to believe that you actually can sell it to somebody. Um, It's one of those things that there is a part of life that is mystery. And it's the acknowledgement, the bending of your knee to that mystery that I find to be the interesting route. So when I was listening to Harris, Harris was saying, um, only science has ever moved religious belief one way or another, only the proof of. And I would argue that's just not true, that in all kinds of religious groupings, There are people who move the needle one way or another. They can move it to the extreme of the right or to the left, if you think that way, but they will move it. You know, 75, 80 years ago, young women in Judaism were not given a a rite of passage, a bar mitzvah. It just didn't happen. Nobody did it. Now it's everywhere. All through Judaism, you have women having bat mitzvahs at 12 years of age and boys bar mitzvahs at 13 years of age because the acknowledgement is that women mature faster than than men. So that's one of those things that wasn't some scientist saying, you really got to do this uh, because the proof is it was just what is, that people decided that there was something in the, in the way they were looking at their own lives and in the gender differences and saying, this isn't right, this isn't fair. There's an enormous movement in the Catholic Church towards um, a, a theology of, of freedom for people. Uh, d- does it dominate? No. Will it one day? Maybe. But for Harris and people like him, it's just get rid of it. And I say that you can also choose the different parts of different religions that resonate with you and create your own fitness program. But the point is to create one. Some people meditate. Some people think through things with other people. Some people make sure they do good things for other people. But they do them on a regular basis. One of the things about, for instance, in the Jewish tradition, the Sabbath, is if you're an observant Jew... It's not an option on a Friday night if Sabbath has started. It's not an option on a Saturday whether you're going to do what you do on Sabbath and not on the other six days. They say that six days of doing and one day of being is the point of it all. But you don't have the option. You have to do it. And by having to do it, you start to create this routine and this ability to clean your home and get it ready for your guests, to start bringing people into your home, to spend time with family, to go and 
collect yourself with your community at once a week. These are things that you have to do. And those are things that you can build a life on. I'm not saying everybody has to decide, oh, well, you know, religion's great. Religion has all kinds of problems. But you know what? If it wasn't religion, it would be the Toronto Maple Leafs. It would be the Raptors. It would be whatever you want. You know, we create religion around everything. We create the need to to become tribal, to become specific about our lives all the time. There's two parts. The particular part, where you really need to see the stuff in front of you, and the universal part, where you look up in the sky and go, 500 million galaxies? There are 500 million galaxies? This is an unknowable source of creation to me. So I just leave it be. That's my rant. That's my rabbi part. I feel better now. I'm a lot better. I haven't had, why? Well, yeah, I had a smoothie. I have a smoothie. That's all I have today. But I do have a guest, and I'm sorry that I made her wait through all that, but I wanted uh, very much for you to meet somebody that I've always wanted to meet, and I never have. So I shall uh, introduce you to her by her stage name, and she can decide which which ones of her names she would like. Biff Naked, hi. Hello. Hi. I enjoyed that thoroughly. Oh, good. I wanted to interject so many times. Please do. Yes, yes, absolutely, 100%. Yes, yes, What did you think? What what were you thinking? Um, A, I couldn't agree with you more. B, my father accused me of being a cherry picker of religion (laughs) and religious theology my entire life. My my parents were both uh, missionaries, uh, which I teased them for once I was old enough to understand that they may or may not have been you know, going to another place to tame the savages or whatever, you know, their church sent them there to do. But the truth was, my dad was a dentist and he was fixing the missionaries' teeth that all congregated at their community. So that really was all it was. It was him and and flossing, really, uh, was the only gospel he actually was (laughs) preaching. Um, But I'm just, I've been obsessed with theology and religion and 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 feeling and heart and consciousness my entire life. I don't know why my sisters don't share that um, enjoyment that I do in that kind of study. And um, you know, I think that absolutely everything you said was true. In fact, to the point that in this day and age, religion has become CrossFit, and, and, and religion really and truly, and you know, people become very very obsessed with uh things like crossfit and yoga class and all this stuff and they will pay two hundred dollars or more a month to do it uh just like my in my parents day they used to give to the church um because there isn't people don't have that routine anymore they don't go to church um and they need it people do need a sense of community and they find that in their like-minded um you know Mm. colleagues that are you know grunting it out uh, doing burpees, you know, for the for the higher good, which is their self evolution, and they can't acknowledge that it's their insides, so they they kind of make it on the outside to prove their commitment, if you will. Why can't they acknowledge it on the inside? Well, people are chicken. They're just chicken. They don't understand. Their life is overwhelming. I think that life is very overwhelming uh, for people, for all of us. And I think it's hard for people to acknowledge that they need to go inward. I mean, you know, let's face it. They can't even acknowledge that they need mental health support Mm. in this world where now it's like, you know, it's very, uh, very all the rage, you know, to hashtag um, your ailment, you know, Mm. or your, your wishes or your needs or your hopes or desires, the thing you need. Uh, in this day and age, it's very common and quite normalized for someone to say, I has this sad, you know, that's very normal. Uh, and people will pile on uh, support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think there's been a time in history when that's been more available to people. But despite that availability for support and, and recognition of somebody's struggle, they still are unsatisfied. Uh, Really, it's never really enough because, and I always say, well, that's because they don't have God. These people are missing God in their life, whatever that looks like. It could be their dog. You know, there's a lot of friends that I have don't like the word God. And they will say dog. Do you, do you like the word God? Love it. Love God. Okay, talk, Love to, talk God. to me about that. Um, God is like, for me, you know, to, to envision the omnipresent or uh, any, you know, any cartoon character uh, depiction of what people's cultural idea of God is to me. It's all it's all God. It's all cool with me. I think it's fantastic. Um, it's hard for me to understand why people fight in religion and have religious beefs. 
you know, because I'm just not born of that uh, era. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, there isn't, I, I can't wrap my head around it, although I do, you know, want to be sympathetic to it. I do understand historical persecution, obviously not firsthand, uh, but as an adopted kid born in a weird world compared to where I live now, you know, th- they couldn't be further from each other. And being born in India and then living in the West uh, is nuts. You know, it's nuts <laughs> here. There is so much excess and very little joy. But there's a lot of false joy and a lot of false profits. And it's very remarkable mm. that people can just blindly go through their life. You know, never really... Uh, really finding out what the truth is. And the truth is different for everybody. So what their truth is, is different for everybody else. Um, So with your truth, what's your truth? I'm looking. I'm a student. You know, I'm always going to be seeking that. Always. And uh, and I love it. And I I gravitate towards other people who are also seekers and students. And uh, and I think that that's something that is, uh, you know, in a way, it's written in the stars. Uh, if you will, um, just like my buddy Samantha seated beside me, daughter of Picasso. Finding Samantha when I moved to Toronto was, you know, um, a lucky circumstance because we're like-minded, you know, in a lot of ways. And even in Vancouver where I lived for 30 long, long years, um, I wound up finding a community there. Why do you say long, long because years? Because to me, I just feel like, <laughs> I, I, I think I felt like I overstayed my welcome in many ways. Um, I, I felt like there was nothing more I could do in Vancouver. Mm. And I, I needed to come here uh, to to shake it up for myself. I was very comfortable there. I had a, a really great, comfortable life. And, you know, I once my... My dogs died, my dad died, you know, my guitar player died. It was like all these signs were like, yo, it's time to, you know, fly, fly, little bird. Like, you know, you need to, my life was shaken up. I needed to go and discover what evolution could look like for me physically. And I I hadn't planned to move to Toronto. I actually planned to move to France. And then once I got to Morocco, I planned never to leave there and to basically run away and disappear like Elvis Presley did. That's where I'm from. Morocco? I'm from Tangier. Come on. I was born there. My mind is exploding, actually. (laughs) Do you speak speak French? No, I speak Spanish. Do you speak any Arabic? No, we're uh, Spanish Jews from northern Very interesting. So we're Sephardic Jews. Shalom. And in homes, you speak Spanish. And in Buenos Dias. Buenos dias. Buenos bien? Dias. Bien. Gracias. <laughs> Gracias. I always have a, I, I, I do some kind of BS Catalan, you know, lisp. Oh, I don't I know why a, I do that. It's I have like, a friend who has. I'm an actor. A, I don't know. He has a, spa- he, he does about eight words in Spanish and he just keeps rotating them through and repeating the sentence and it makes me laugh hysterically. Oh, that is so funny. Do I do the same key, thing in Turkish. His key word is pero, which is oh, but. Yes. But so he goes, you hablar con pero, you say, pero. That's good. Howie, please stop doing that. You're killing me. That is so um, funny. All yeah. you need to know is a couple words in every language That's where'd like, you stay in morocco uh well you know what it's i i basically was very lucky because my manager's wife um was obsessed with uh, expedia this one summer mm. and they were living in paris and it was just a 60 year old flight uh from paris to wow. marrakesh oh you and so i happened to be over there because of course my dogs were dead so finally i could travel after 20 long years of you know nursing these little maltese dogs <laughs> and so anyway i i finally went to morocco I had survived breast cancer and, and a terrible, horrendous divorce. A couple stalkers in court and a whole bunch of other garbage. And I was like, I was like bawling with happiness. I couldn't believe I was in Africa. That was like my big, hugest wish in my life. And I was in Marrakesh and I was just like, this is nuts. Like I could actually die. I was like, this would be great. If I could get murdered in the souk, I would be like so happy. A, good looking corpse. I'm totally up for that. Good looking corpse. Young, you know, don't want to really be too old. Want to be young. And, uh, and B, how romantic, you know, how tragic and romantic a story it would make. I just thought, oh, the movie. Yes, this would be great. I didn't croak. No. I discovered mashed carrots, agree with nice. me, and eggplant. I've eaten eggplant every day of my life. So screw all those vegans that say no nightshades, up yours. Uh, and <laughs> I just can't wait to go back, you know? You should do uh, Fez. 
Yes, the Medina I've, and I Fez have is, heard is, that. is remarkable. Yes, it's, it's I can thing. imagine. Uh, so wait a minute, we just blew by some stuff. <laughs> Sorry, it ha- I you had know, some coffee. The breast cancer, um, the very uh, dark divorce, the stalkers. Oi. <laughs> okay, so. Gewalt. Weismir. <laughs> Gott in Himmel. <laughs> so, so um, which one should we uh, look through a spiritual lens at? The divorce? All of them. Okay, so. Ultimately, let, let, they are all uh, let, absolutely um, integral to my spiritual growth. Okay, so the, how was the divorce a part of your spiritual growth? Well, I know that there's a lot of people who've gone through divorce or you know a breakup a significant breakup in their life whether it is you know when they're a young person and they never get over it or anything or when you get dragged through the court system you know with catheter tubing in your neck is a long monologue joke that i have anyway um it was remarkable uh i had been married before i got married at 18 and obviously that was kind of like the whoopsie. That was six months, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it was a whoopsie, and we're still bunnies, and he was meant to go and marry the, you know, the hot, you know, punk girls that he married and have kids with them and have a nice life. Uh, and I was meant to go on and, you know, have all my 13 fiancés and all the dogs <laughs> and all the tours and all my things. And then I met this, you know, guy when I was in my mid-30s, and it seemed like I was mature, I felt, you know, mm-hmm. I self-identified as being mature. Uh, but the truth was, I was uh, a very, um, very stressed out, workaholic, anorexic little mm. uh, performer girl who only traveled and then met this guy. Obviously, as is my pattern to repeat, you know, get engaged rather quickly. And I can go through a whole thing about saying how I was actually justifying my sexual behavior, but that's a whole other other story. Mm. Uh, and then when we got married, I was diagnosed with breast cancer about three weeks later and wow. everything went sideways. And I think that How that did you feel when you were told that you had cancer? Very happy. Ecstatic. Absolutely ecstatic because I thought that God gave it to me instead of my mother. Mm, I felt like if that? there's a statistic that says one in nine women or one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer today mm-hmm. in Canada. Let me be one of the eight. I don't want that for my sister who has a daughter. I don't want that for my mother who has her own, you know, Michigas every day in her apartment in Winnipeg. Let it be me. You know, I have a punk rock work ethic. You know, I can I can die happy. You know, I can mm. make jokes about it. I, you know, I have a captive audience in the chemo room. Like, it's fantastic. <laughs> like, let it be me. And I always say, you know, it brought me to volunteering. Um, It brought me to so many realizations. Hey, I should have been in hospital administration. Absolutely, 100%. Would I have ever discovered that? Had I not been, you know, stuck in the wards and and stuck going through the healthcare system and understanding completely that there are certain medications and medicines and treatments in Canada you are not eligible for if you don't have the money. And, and I think that's something that is a big, horrible surprise for mm. families who are, are unprepared for that. And I wouldn't have really been able to learn that and understand it had I not been in the system. So you saw it as a gift. hundred percent. I wish I could do it for all the fearful women who have to go through it this year. They're fearful. They don't want to do it. I'm like, give it to me. I'm cool. Mm. I got time, you know, I'm good. Uh, but it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. <laughs> so you got married, you got cancer. Yes. You got okay. Well, you know, three years and uh, 17 infusions and growing the hair back. I looked like Seinfeld for a while. Sorry, you guys missed that. It was really cool. <laughs> and uh, it, it just, it, it didn't change how I self-identified, but it changed how everybody else saw me. Right. And that was something that, affected my self-identity as a performer oh yeah you know i'm a big mouth but at the time there was no instagram when i was going through chemo and i feel badly about that because now you know it's not it it, it's not unusual for uh, a woman to you know basically live stream her chemo session Mm. or live stream her you know her whole thing you know there's lots of things that i learned from the other patients with whom i uh, was I- in these chemo wards and getting our infusions. Um, I didn't have the kind of partner who 
you know, gave me a, you know, a big hug and, and we shaved my head in the bathtub while he, you know, put rose petals on me. I heard that from a woman. Um, I forget how old I was at the time. I had been out of cancer a couple of years. I burst into tears. This poor woman is telling me the story about her husband, how, how supportive and tender he was. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like the dream of anyone's life. And, and you uh, didn't have that. No, hell no. But that's okay. Because for me, I learned about uh, myself and about my relationship. Cancer is the big reveal. People step up and they step away. And had I not had cancer, I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been revealed to me right. so quickly. Right. And maybe for him too, because I'm a, you know, I, I grew up a kid, uh, I, I call it of a forgiveness family where we don't harbor any ill feelings. And it was very difficult to work through those feelings of hurt and disappointment and disillusionment and resentment. And and I felt like that was my work to do. I felt like I had been given the gift of that work and working through it. And and it wasn't easy, and it took a long time. I would say it took three years. That's not... It took probably three years for me to fully kind of exhale and, and release that individual from my... From a hurt. Right. You know, I think that the idea of that perfect marriage is, you know, it's part of my princess brain. Mm. You know, I am a, a, a cis, het, white girl who still has princess dreams, you know, because that's just, you know, the, the world I was born into. And that's the uh, idea that I have of relationships. And that didn't happen um, well, we get during told that a time. lot of stories, right? I mean, but it happened now. <laughs> Yeah, that's lovely. We, we get, yeah. but we get a lot of good life fantasy stories. Oh yeah, what it's supposed 100%. to be. What, yeah, we're not quite there, and that's part of marketing. Yes, is it to is to make sure that yes. you're always inadequate because you can't sell somebody something if they don't think they need it. Yes, so they got to think they need it in some way or another, I guess. So, you have different spiritual tattoos all over your body. Do I you love know? it. Now, tell me about these tattoos and what they signify for you, why you got them. The first tattoo I ever got, I only wanted one. It was the Achat, the Eye of Horus, mm-hmm. or the All-Seeing Eye. And I figured, even though it was Egyptian, I figured it really, you know, it covered everything for me. You know, it wasn't the skull and crossbones, because I was young when I got it. Mm-hmm. I usually lied to everyone and say I was 18, but I was a little younger than that. Uh, I think it was against the law. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it's against the law now, but I always tell kids that I was 21. But anyway, um, and then it just kind of, you know, at the time I was studying Taoism. Mm -hmm. And so then I got that symbol for the Tao or the way uh, on my other arm. What made you decide Taoism was worse? It was fascinating to me. And this is prior to this is I was probably about 18 years old. And it just really, you know, I think everybody in my punk rock band was reading Lao Tzu. Mm-hmm. And we were really exploring that. It was before I came really into uh, really the crush that I developed on Buddhism. And uh, and right after that, you know, we started touring with other bands. And then I was introduced to like, you know, hardcore Hare Krishna, Krishna punks. And I was like, this totally resonates with me, you know, and my, my birthright, um, you know, my Indian background. And it just, it resonated with me. And yoga was a big part of it. And, and you know, my dad, who was always, uh, I mean, I was baptized in India as an Anglican. My parents weren't even Anglican, but that's the only church that was there. And, uh, you know, I kind of, being an adopted kid, I was like, well, I could be anything. Like, maybe I could be Jewish. Like, you don't really know. You know, and I was like, man, I could be just about anything. I think you'd fit well. God bless you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's like, and, and I just think that I just, I like everything so much. And my father always used to just say, you're not allowed to okay, cherry pick. You, you, uh, why? Well, this is my point, you know. God bless you, dad, but you're dead now, so I can cherry pick. Okay, so I'll, I'll be your dad. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll argue his side. I flossed. <laughs> I just, I just have it. I flossed, dad. I did. His side, his side would say, um... You don't have to commit to any path if you just dabble in each path and think, oh, I'll take a little bit of right. Buddhism, I'll take a little Hinduism, right. I'll take a little Judaism, right. that really you're just shopping for God. Yes, and also taking and cherry-picking the parts that suited me right. was what and, his and, complaint and, and, was. And take them out when they don't suit you. So Correct. the minute they're, you're inconvenienced That's by right. your faith, then get out of it. That's right. So what's your argument against that? Christmas. 
Hello, Christmas. Okay, so who put the Christ in Christmas and who took it out? You know, is it still there? Everybody still does all those little, you know, Jesus is my homeboy T-shirts at Christmas. But you know, where's the where is the benevolence? Where is the loving kindness that is supposed to be there? Right. You know, and and I think that, I mean, you so know, wait a minute. How is that an argument for not engaging in one faith? Because well, because I'm pointing out that nobody really does the holding, the clinging to their faith until it's convenient for them. No Christians are really going to be like, totally, totally cool until it's Christmas, right. is my theory. And mm. I always go, really? Like, you know, are you going to Mass? No. You're getting drunk and buying presents and going in debt and doing all this other stuff. I don't see you at Mass. Right. And it's not a, a critique, but it's just a, okay, in self-defense. The, the I person go, who would go yes. every week, for instance, uh, and they don't have to, I mean... And they still cheat on their spouse, which is well, a sin. Well, no, no, but this is the thing. Let's say you're a person who's really... Look, religion is not supposed to be proof. It's not a proof card that you're perfect. It's an attempt. I agree. Right? It's it's a, it's an attempt by quite fallible human beings to be, to become better than than they think they are. Absolutely. Right? Uh, and, and, to connect, to and to connect to something that is bigger than them. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean you don't trip and fall and fail. But it Listen, does. I know lots of yoga instructors who actually do like a lot of cocaine on the weekend. So right. Really? Right. No, Where's the Om Shanti? Okay, but maybe the Om Shanti is the other side of their life going, I really would like to have a better life. Of I really course. would like to do yes. good things with my life. And I am weak. And, and the more people expect light from people, the less they can acknowledge the shadow of a person. And without well, I'm going to quote you, you on that. It. That is very good. But there's, but, so that doesn't mean that you don't try. Yes. And, so I, I don't know if your argument holds in, in terms of being <laughs> able to say, well, they're not very good at it, so I don't think you need to, to commit. I'm not saying you have to commit. I am committed to God, whatever form he's in. And all paths, in my brain yeah. and heart, all paths lead to God. Right. Really and truly. I right. mean, they really do. Well, all, all spiritual paths is what yes. you're saying. Yes. Right? So, it, so uh, Matthew Fox, who is a, a, a Christian who was excommunicated by the, by the church, a uh, uh, he he said that Christianity had devolved into Jesusology. It was the worship of Jesus. And he wanted it to be what he now runs as his organization about creation spirituality, mm. the wonder and awe of the universe, the wonder and awe of creation itself, the source of creation. That was what he was interested in. And he brought in all kinds of people, Wiccans and pagans and Jews and, and so he's written books like One River Many uh, Wells. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's what you're saying. But yes, how far down a well do you have to go to get real meaning out of it? Because if you're just looking down a whole eight wells and going, oh, cool, well, oh, that Hindu thing's cool. Look, oh, uh, evangelicals. Well, they do have something going. I'm not quite sure. Oh, there, look, gee. I mean, at what point do you jump in? I don't know. You know, honestly. And I'm not I think, saying you have to. I'm just yeah, asking. no, I agree 100%. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I ever felt like I wasn't, wasn't um, like it sounds like you did swimming a, in the pool. You did a deep dive in Buddhism, you said. I did. And I still do. And I still, I still love it. I love it very much. I, I love uh, the Hindu scriptures, Sikhi, Sikhism. Right. I love all of it. I love even, you know, um, what is it you love all the about Catholics it? I know are very cool people also I mean I, I, I love it all I think that there's uh, you know ultimately there's there's codes there's rules there's there's right. moral guidelines that right. I think are really important for people because people I mean we're all like you said we're we're so flawed in our humanness you know I, I've read recently that there is a lack of humanity in the West. I don't think that's true at all. I think that everyone has that humanity in them. People are, in our world, people are busy. People are, uh, you know, they're hurting. They're confused. They're, they're trying to pay bills. They're trying to put their kids in school. They're trying to, you know, there's a million things that are always happening. So much stimuli. I don't think anyone has forgotten their humanity or their spirituality. I just think that sometimes 
little reminders happen. And whether that is in, you know, a dog's whiskers or eyelashes or whether that is in like, you know, the first crocus they see at, at spring or whether it is in a car accident, you know, that make that that shocks families into remembering what is uh, important. You know, I think that everyone has that simmering undercurrent of total devotion and love. Mm. I really believe that. Um, I don't know. I think the world is uh, world is a crazy busy place full of a lot of stimuli and a lot of hardship for people. I think life is really hard. Yeah. For 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 a lot of people yeah. all of the time. I'm talking to Biff Naked. I'm Ralph Benrigi. This is not that kind of rabbi, and uh, we're uh, we're doing a tour of tattoos <laughs> and uh, a lot of other things. Uh, trying to figure out what the hell's going on uh, in this fine world of ours. Um, what is it about uh, Buddhism that you really get a lot out of? Um, you know, I think partly I discovered Buddhism because I was a bookworm. Mm. And I think reading, I, I love reading and being someone who was on tour, surrounded by people all the time. I was the only one who didn't uh, drink alcohol because I had to stop drinking alcohol if I wanted to save my voice. Right. Um, which is really how I started, you know, not uh, imbibing, I guess. Uh, it was just really because I wanted to be a professional. I didn't want to, you know, be drunk, wake up with a guy, wake up in Italy, like who knows what. <laughs> um, so I... You know, and I felt isolated. And even in a room full of a thousand people, we can still feel really like kind of alienated. I was also at a certain age where I really felt persecuted all the time. Um, persecuted by? Well, just persecuted. I felt kind of like, you know, I felt lonely a lot. Um, I felt like I was the odd man out. I was the only girl on the tour bus half mm. the time. Um, I was the only person who didn't eat meat. Uh, there was just a lot of different things. And plus it was a different era. Like there was nothing we could really do if someone yelled, show us your tits on stage. We had to eat it, right? Uh, which is fine. Uh, because, you know, there's something that makes you feel very strong about having to be resilient. You have to rise up and be resilient. And you take pride in that in a way. Uh, you, you start saying, well, you know, I withstood this and I was able to overcome it. And it makes you feel, you know, kind of, uh, kind of like you ha are invincible in a way. Mm. And, um, but I turned to books because of course, you know, I'm so old. We didn't have computers. Let's be <laughs> honest. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have anything like that on tour. Um, so I just like had tons of books. I had a suitcase full of books every tour. And often if they weren't medical textbooks that I stole off my father, uh, just because that was, that was my Netflix. I mean, that was like veg out, you know, or languages. I have so many journals where I would like write down every word that I wanted to learn in Turkish because it was the only language that I, that I had discovered at the time wasn't in the Persian script. I could actually sound it out a little bit. Um, and then all these books on Buddhism were like, man, they saved me. They really saved me because they took me um, out of my head in a way and got me to kind of be really find that neutrality uh, that I was missing. It, it made me feel very neutral and kind of acknowledged that uh, in a way, the intellectual way they looked at things. It was just very, just very neutral, just from a place of observation and acknowledgement. And so at that time, that's what I needed. Mm, that's interesting. I, I loved it. Neutral. I've never heard that word used there. I like that. Just the ability to Take, well, I guess maybe it's take the ego out of the picture and just say emotion, passing. I guess emotion. so. What would you know. say? There's this word called equanimity. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, of course. That's kind of like the same thing where you just find your center. That's what I was taught that equanimity meant, that I seek that in my daily life where if I find an extreme coming in, i got to find my pendulum back into the middle. Right. Or if I'm swinging too hard. So that's where neutral comes in? Mm -hmm. Okay. That neutrality. My father uh. used to tell me the Buddhists are the only ones who you'll see smiling at a funeral. Yeah. I thought that was like a terrible thing to say. I was like, how do you say that? Who smiles at a funeral? You know, who are these people? But to be neutral uh, is about not taking on the drama. That was Sarah, by the way, who just... Whose voice Samantha. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's Samantha, sorry. daughter of Picasso. Now, why are we... All right. So, okay. Mike, okay. Mike's in there. Um, 
I want God. You said your friends don't don't like the word. I, I've, I've, I have friends that don't like. The yeah, word. I, I've, I I used to say uh, God is a four letter word. Interesting, right? Because it, it people I think often feel that it's you're now telling stories about superheroes and supernatural life and and uh, I think a lot of people were taught religion in a way where God was a guy uh, with a beard uh, <laughs> in a nice chair. Uh, who had a naughty and nice list, which... We, Santa. Right. So I think that's where most people leave off when they sure. hit adolescence. They're just like, what? Come on. Sure. And what's with all these miracle stories and Noah right. was 920 and, oh, come on, this is silly. I tend to see these, particularly the stories of scriptures, um, as, uh, and certainly in the Old and New Testaments, as metaphorical stories. So yes. if... if if Pharaoh is part of the Exodus story of, of the Old Testament, the Pharaoh is not, well, it's not Yul Brenner, but it's also, it, it's, right. it's, it's, not, um, it's not an external person, even though there was one and many of them. It's right. really your internal tyrant, the part of you that is snapping you over the head every time you think you're doing well and makes you feel bad. That's your Pharaoh. Right. And your freedom march is away from that Pharaoh of your own life. So I guess it's all how we take it. So for God, how, when I say, what is God, what is your answer? Everything and anything. So my God never scolds me. You know, my idea of God never scolds me. God shows up in a toilet. Right. And I'll tell you why that is. The, the first thing, God shows up every day you take a shower in your life. How can you take a shower and not acknowledge the fact that, A, you're taking one, that you are upright, that you, you know, aren't dizzy, like with a headache or, mm. or a illness, that you can actually stand in a shower, B, that you actually have water, see that it's warm, you know, that it's not painfully cold. Um, you know, I, I, th I feel like every single thing that happens in my day are little milestones for me where I'm like, this is amazing. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe I get to have a shower. Like, literally, that's how it is. Gratitude. And absolutely. I named my car God. You know, the first year I got my little car uh, was 2008. And there was a terrible snowstorm in, uh, in Vancouver that autumn. Uh, my best friend had bought also a Mazda 3. No offense to Mazda or my car, which is a little Volvo that I will drive till the wheels fall off because that's, you know, environmentally friendly. Um my car got through all the snowstorms and I kept yelling, thank you, God, every time I drove down the street so frequently. And I couldn't believe it, like laughing, like absolutely laughing out loud by myself in the car like a crazy woman. And I thought, you know what? This is amazing. Hey, and I was in radiation at the time, so it could have been like on a cellular level, I was crazy and, and absolutely like, you know, environmentally offensive myself and just like it affected my brain cells. But I was just absolutely astonished that mm. my car was so efficient in the snow and none of my friends could get out of their driveways so everything that happens that's good i see is god i don't ever see what about the bad there is no bad how is there any bad you know i have to sit every day and acknowledge the privilege that i have i have to and, and it's not something that's a coping technique that i've learned or or you know anything that i'm you know trying to convey or you know, passive aggressively, you know, impress upon people. But I just really know for sure. And my parents really were such squares, you know, and such like, you know, sweet little people that they just impressed it upon their three daughters that every single thing in the whole world, whether it's a, me having the ability to, to stir chocolate chips in my cream of wheat until it's just disgusting and black, <laughs> you know, in a bowl, that was a gift, and that was uh, as a result of the privilege that I was living. And, and so that's something that we always kind of knew, but, you know, now it's a catchphrase, you know, and I think that it, it's a hashtag. Things become hashtags, and people don't take them seriously because they they don't really resonate with people because they become trendy. Mm. Uh, but I think that how can you not see and feel god or the creator or the omnipresent or just even universal love and gratitude how can you not see those things just by the fact that again 
the fact that you can actually go to the bathroom, hey, you know, not for nothing. That's actually something no, no, that's there's, important. There's a, in the Jewish faith, one of the things you do in the morning when you wake up is you uh, you thank uh, God for the things that are should be open in your body are open and the things that are closed are closed. Exactly. I mean, it's very, um, the first part of the four stages of, of, of a morning prayer revolve around the body first. Yes. Right? The, the asiyah of your life. Then the yitzira, the heart of your life. And then the bria, the intellect of your life. And then the atzilut, which is the spiritual transcendence of life and a saturday morning service is built that way as well so yes. you start with always start with the body yes absolutely because it, it makes gratitude. total sense yeah. and, and i mean you know it, it makes total sense to me and i just think that you know anything that happens maybe i'm you know my parents also accuse me of being a fatalist and right. saying you know you believe you're a predestinist kid you believe in all these things are destiny i'm like I do. You just so if you don't get a part when you're in your acting or, or the record doesn't turn out the way it just that wasn't meant to be. Correct, one hundred percent. And I again, you know, and I have had to, you know, like, I guess wrestle with the the question: Is that just a coping technique? You know, have I just intellectualized it right. enough so that I can just accept? I'm more accepting of things. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that really and truly, I think that. You know, people wonder they're going to try and live in gratitude. You want to live in gratitude? Go poop. You're done. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, that's really as, as simple as it can be. It, absolutely. It's just, oh, thank God. That's people it. say that all the time. Because there, there are people who are in pain to do that or can't do that. Or well, have, you, you know, know we, we tend to see these spiritual questions as being very up in the air and beautiful and floaty right. and blue when yes. really God is in the laundry is, is something 100%. say all the time. If you have but if you don't to, see a sacred yeah. sacredness in the everyday, then you're waiting for it. I mean, I, I once did a TV show called Five Seekers for Vision TV. And it was about five people who weren't religious anymore, but were still spiritually seeking. And at one point when we were doing, we did it in Sedona, Arizona and Cortez Island in BC. So Fancy. We, yeah, so all kinds of experiences were given to them. You know, uh, body experiences, spiritual experiences through, through past life regression, all kinds of things were going on. And it was, you know, really interesting, but it was really a kind of a shopping expedition. And there was this feeling I got about halfway through and I asked them about it that were they just waiting for lightning to strike them that right. that they weren't going to build the spiritual life they were just going to get hit and just it all makes sense to right. me I know how everything should work the epiphany. How, yeah I'm I'm having the moment of my you know road to Damascus moment it's all happening for me um, which led me to believe that really we've just gone so far down the road of being consumers of things that it's just a thing to buy. It's just another thing to buy, that we, we will get that life. You know, you go to the right retreat yes, the right amount of times, yes, and you'll get the right result. If you're a wealthy person, because retreats are so expensive. Exactly. Well, yeah. They're five grand. Like, you want to become a yoga teacher, you know? it's Yes, yeah, like seven grand. Yeah, well, you know, really, yeah. it is. No, I mean, my first wife uh, runs a yoga studio here in Toronto, successful God bless. one. God bless. And she, you know, she sometimes uh, bemoans the fact that people are coming in looking for a, a, a gym. Yes. And she doesn't want it to be a gym. It's a yoga studio. Yo it's yogi philosophy is a real thing. You yeah, know? absolutely. But, you know, I did a, a show with, uh, recently with Michael Corrin, who was uh, here uh, talking to us. And, uh, you know, the the question was, uh, how did the Buddha become a garden gnome? Right. Right? Because yes. that, that's what the Buddha is now. Yes, and absolutely. I actually, uh, but two people I mentioned that to, both uh, of, of all, the, all the people I mentioned it to, two of them said, oh, yeah, the one in my backyard is kind of falling apart. We're getting a new one. We have them in our own. We have <laughs> them in our own homes. We have them in our homes. We have crystals. Well, it's even like the Virgin Mary. When I'm walking in the neighborhood, you know how many houses have yeah. Madonna sitting outside their house, and you know which ones are Catholic. Well, my grandparents are guilty of it. You know what I mean? Like they have no, but it's not guilty. They they feel that this this is a reminder. You know, we sometimes in in religious life you need signposts. There's the Stations of the Cross. There's yeah. 
there's the Madonna, there's the, the, the image of Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, in palliative care, uh, Jews don't do as well as, as Christians uh, who believe in Jesus because they have Jesus to talk to. Yeah. We have the unknowable deity. That doesn't help. You don't, you don't get to go, so unknowable deity, I, I, I think I need a little. But if you can say, you know, Mother Mary, I'm not doing well. I'm alone. I'm lying in this bed by myself. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I don't think I've been as good a person as I wanted to be. That's a conversation, right? Oh, I've seen it. My grandfather passed in August and, you know, I'm Roman Catholic and he took his last breaths during the Our Father. And I grew up very immersed in my Catholicism. I'm spiritual as well. So I, I'm guilty of um, dabbling, you know, as Biff would say, but I can't help but incorporate all the things that I've ever learned in my life into one package because after my first attunement in Reiki and I went home after and I fell into a meditative sleep, I had a visitation from the Virgin Mary. I swear I'm not even lying. I had, she was sitting, she was in front of me. I've learned how to meditate and I've practiced it on my own and at UFT for neuroscience medical mindful meditation. So I've learned the science behind it and also the spirituality behind it. Prayer is meditation. It just, I'm finding God trying to find me and all the things finding out I have to go through heart surgery again. He's trying to show me that everything that I'm doing that creates peace within me is what he is encouraging for me, regardless of what the church is promoting or whatnot. Cause I just finished watching two popes on Netflix and you know, and then I watched angels and demons and then I watched the Da Vinci code and I was like, okay, I'm a little bit confused, but also have a lot of questions, but there's a lot making sense. You know, right. I joke about there's spectrums, there's layers, right? So right. it's, it's all, for me, I know you didn't ask, <laughs> but I'm Italian. Well, I'm and <laughs> I could never have guessed you were Italian. Can no? You, yeah, of course I could. Oh, okay. Keep <laughs> you know, like when, I think of when I was growing up and what kept me going, because, you know, struggling for whatever I went through, knowing that the Virgin Mary went to Fatima and appeared to three children and they had something to talk about, or Our Lady of Guadalupe. Mother Mary is a big thing for me mm. because we all have issues with our families in one way or another and we're all seeking external guidance and to know that there's a universal mother in some way mm. you know kind of creates this sense of non-judgment because i do that well on my own you know i don't so sam harris yesterday says uh while i'm watching this interview he'd done with robert wright uh, says, uh, you know this, it's absolutely ludicrous that we're even discussing a virgin mary a, a virgin birth. This is just ridiculous. Like, if, if this is a basis of, of belief, then what's the point? So, yet you speak of it as the universal mother, and it has a great uh, ability to help someone heal. So, what do we do with that? Because I don't know. if you if you break it back, so you go into U of T for neuroscience, and they say we can prove scientifically that this has an effect on the brain that's good, mm -hmm. and this and that. But then you turn around and say, oh, great, thanks. I'm going to go talk to the Virgin Mary. Essentially. <laughs> well, I don't think it's far-fetched. I don't think it's far-fetched at all. I think that it makes a lot of sense because when you look at Ganesh, for example. Ganesh. Really? Really? So a, a man. <laughs> Elephant a, man? An abusive man cut the boy's head off. Right. Like, really? Uh, and then, you know, felt remorse and put the baby elephant's head on the boy's body. Like, Really? So this is also the same type of symbolism that might be as far-fetched, might not be, might be as far-fetched as a virgin birth. Right, but do they have value in a world where we have to prove everything? Yes, they do. Because? Because they mean something to the people who uh, need those, the, the, the symbolism of it. Really, it's about the symbolism more than anything else. Right. I think, anyway. And I think that those... Um, you know, you're talking about palliative care, you know, oi, you know, you, you just, you know, I had a, brrr, you know, just like, wow, that is exactly what I want to talk about. Because when you're talking about the Virgin Mary or you pray to Jesus, they have Jesus. Also, you have 108 beads in the mala beads, you know, and they count beads when they're not praying, um, you know, in a, a variety of different religions. Right. And I just think there's so many different things that people can and do do to bring themselves peace and, and to, to be kind to themselves, to do, uh, I guess, their spiritual work. It's really self-care. 
Really, it is. It's mm. soothing for people. Um, but is it, is it, as they say, an opiate? Is it just... 100%. People get intoxicated. Intoxicated. That's why we're talking... You know, you're talking about Jesus but, freaks. Hey, there are so many freaks swimming in the Ganges. There are freak Like, and uh, when I say freaks, I mean people who are intoxicated by their love of God, by their love of... Uh, you know, whatever they believe in. Because so they're not nuts. They're absolutely not nuts. They are intoxicated by love, you know, mm-hmm. just like the hippie movement that, you know, my generation made fun of. And, uh, you know, really, they actually were right on the money because, you know, even if they, even if they weren't taking hippie drugs and LSD, um, they're intoxicated just by... By their feeling, by by those feelings, that yeah. great rush of of hope, that 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 deity, you know, really gives them, you know, and the, those symbols and and those deities and the ideas and and the almost wishes, you know, a lot of people think that, hey, I've got great friends who, it's very important to them to self-identify as atheists. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, I have to respect that, you know. Do I want them to respect my beliefs? Not at all, because it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm not concerned with anybody uh, respecting my beliefs or believing in them or, or giving them clout again because of that foundation of neutrality Right. that's important to me. And, and I think that that really is, for me, that's the, the best thing of all. Beautiful. Listen, I, I, I want uh, a song. I want you to pick one of your songs that we should play what, what do you want? What do you want us to play? I got to you. Do you have the whole repertoire? Like, do you well, have everything? We'll find it. Oh, um, well, there's a song that I wrote that's actually incredibly dirty. It's quite perverted. I'm proud of it because uh, you know it was important to me at the time, and it's called Religion. Perfect. And basically, uh, that song, you know, the lyrics were "You are my religion." You know, right. and and, uh, and I think that people can feel and when people fall in love, there's a madness that happens. Like just the people go, they they like they will gamble their house away. They will, you know, run away from home. They will like quit their job. People will cross the earth for for that special person, um, you know, hopefully it lasts and they don't you know, wind up in, in a bad way. But that kind of intoxicated, wonderful in love love it's not even rational love it it is like people who become intoxicated in their religion and and i think that that like samantha was talking about a pendulum i think in our lifetimes i think that we can you know things do flow and things do ebb and flow um almost like tides i think there's different times in our lives where we will feel closer to god and we will be more god seeking than other times in our lives I don't know. Are our parents, you know, toward the end of their lives, are they more contemplative? Uh, and so, therefore, they're feeling closer spiritually to, to where they want to be than, you know, mm. a young shit starter who's, uh, you know, just rambunctious and, you know, mm. I call young people 30-year-olds now. But now anyway, you, now you, uh, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, I just think that... I, I think <clears throat> no, I totally agree. I totally it does agree. ebb and flow. Yeah, absolutely. There's mm-hmm. uh, Everything does. Life is not a constant. Love is not a constant. Sadness, happiness, they all come and they go. And uh, But God is a constant. Well, you know, it's interesting because if you see it that way, then you see yourself as the thing that moves, that, that you're constantly going into a higher or lower tide with your relationship with God or with people. Sure. Uh, with, with, your, with yourself. You know, sometimes we're very yeah. far away from ourselves and sometimes we're very close to ourselves. So it all works. I, we're going to play religion. Samantha, daughter of Picasso. Yeah. <laughs> why, why are you called daughter of Picasso? Um, I actually just got a notification on my phone that says, eight years, congratulations on Tumblr, daughter of Picasso. I was like, oh my God, it's been eight years, but I guess so. That's when I started OCAD University and I was trying to find myself in the midst of parental control. 
Uh, <laughs> and I went from York Italian and, Catholic parents. I yeah, don't see how that could have happened. But first good. and only daughter of three. <laughs> oh, yes. No. Oh yes. So I'm like the I'm still stuck on the Virgin Mary and how she's a virgin. But anyways, it's miraculous. Um, but yeah, so I was at York for English and philosophy because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Be a teacher. What am I going to teach? I need to be expressive. Then I ended up at Ryerson for humanities and philosophy. Clearly philosophy kind of kept following me. I was also the kind of kid that went to, I was on the phone with Peter earlier. I was like, don't forget, I went to Teopoli, which was a summer experience, which was a two week, 14 day retreat in Muskoka from the ages of like eight to 13, where it was all, my friends would call me a Bible thumper. It was all Ooh. Christianity based, but also very spiritual because you're out there in Muskoka nine o'clock at night darkness mother nature is god you know and you're walking these cross like the stations of the cross and i felt god you know i've been i've been close with god my whole life you know my grandmother's the kind of grandmother that people call and they're like can you come pray over my kid you know mm -hmm. so i've been around that right and then i was like okay what am i gonna do i'm i've been i went to um an arts high school for visual arts i've been painting and drawing since i was a baby, you know, writing, singing, whatever, but painting, I didn't have to, I didn't have to tell people what I was feeling. I just did here. Look, Oh, it's such a pretty picture. Daughter Picasso came to me after I got into OCAD as a mature student for illustration. I'm a fine artist at, by nature. I'm abstract expressionism every day. I collage very often. So my, you know, when I think of Picasso, I just kind of put him in the same category as all the 20th modern art, you know, went through World War One, World War Two, carried that energy with them. You know, Matisse, Picasso, uh, you know, the spectrum. I can't even get into it because it's like asking someone their favorite movie. But it's more of just holding that um, that that energy of change, you know, of being mm. the people that want to not go against the norm because, you know, he was very talented and, and there was a norm that he was instewing and, and creating, but also still holding himself to what he knew and what he wanted and what he daughter believed. Daughter of Picasso. I dig it. So, I dig it. Thank you. So Samantha, daughter of Picasso, thank you for hanging out with us. Yeah, and no Biff. problem. Thank you for having me. But, oh, <laughs> I, I actually have there. lost my teeth three oh. times on microphones, actually. The sm is the worst. It's like a, it is. a, I've, yeah. a metal Especially ball Especially if you get a, a stage diver kicking your microphone <laughs> through your teeth. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, but my dad was a dentist, so we're good. Yeah, you're good. You can get those caps. That's right. Um, thank you for doing this with me. I really it's just such it. a, it's a thrill. It's just such a huge honor to meet you. Oh, that's I'm really a huge funny. fan, and uh, I love this show. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Biff Naked, not that kind of rabbi, the name of this podcast. I'm Ralph Benmergi. You can find us all kinds of ways on all kinds of platforms. What's the easiest way? Apple Podcasts? Is that is that the easiest way? Apple people like Apple Podcasts, others like Spotify or Google Podcasts. But you can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Excellent. So uh, please subscribe if you dig it. Uh, we're building the community and we'd love to do more of it. And we need your uh, support to do that. Uh, you can get me at, at Ralph Ben Murgy. Uh, try Ben Murgy. Just Google it. See what happens. Because it's B-E-N-M-E-R-G-U-I. It's a little difficult. Uh, also on Facebook. And uh, my email is RalphBenMurgy at gmail.com. Take care of each other. And uh, we'll see you soon.
is profound Can you hear the sound Of my breath
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.